DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Top 1660 is back in the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the Top 60 players in the state of Utah. As we count you down to the start of the college football season, it's the Top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on the Zone Sports Network. I want to throw you a curveball right now, PK. Are you ready? Always. I find the 60 and 60 really hard, and I think it's gotten even more difficult because we've got so many transfers. We've got people we don't know how they're going to fit in, how they're going to take off. Plus, in a year where we had a limited number of games for the Utes and the Aggies, BYU pretty close to the full schedule. Uh, there's a chance for players at these other schools to have kind of a year of development and sneak up on us, so there could be two classes of kids ready to break out. Okay. Who... Who are you looking forward to see? I know we're going to do a thing next week. I don't want to get into it now, but you've already been talking about it today. We're planning it for next week about college football and teams stacking up and all of that. Uh, but we do get a chance to see kids in, in the before times, uh, actually talk to them and, and get to know them a little bit on a certain level. And it's kind of exciting to see these guys develop. Who excites you? Who do you just think, I can't wait to see Player X? Or is it more groups of players, and you're like, someone in this group's going to break well, I, out, and I don't know who? I think you always point to the quarterbacks, because it's the highest profile position. And with that in mind, it's uh, Jaron Hall. I want to see what he can do. Does he win the job, which you think is likely? He's got to stay then, healthy. Right. And then what does he do if he gets it? Yeah. And that goes back to what lots of coaches, including Kyle Whittingham, has beat this into us over and over in media availability. A, be a good quarterback, be good in the pocket, but B, when everything breaks down, can you make a play anyway? Because you're that athletic. And whether that's straight-ahead speed or elusiveness, the ability to throw on the run, some combination of all of those things. Well, anytime you play two major college sports and you're not <laughs> 6'10 or something like that. Right. That signals there must be some kind of extraordinary athletic ability here. Right. If you're going to play college football, and in his case, college baseball, okay, what's going on? Yeah, so we know that there's athletic talent there, and he's not playing either of those sports because he has overwhelming size. That, that's not it. Nothing wrong with those guys who have overwhelming size because you still have to be good enough to play. Plenty of guys have size and right. don't play. Uh, he didn't have that. He's got the bloodlines, obviously. Father played BYU. So with that in mind, I want to see what he can do. Because I believe they told him, just go get healthy last year. We don't need Mm -hmm. you. We're fine. Go get healthy. Come back next year. We want you. We'll need a starting quarterback in all probability. And we want you healthy. And we uh, want you in the mix. So, yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what he can do. Uh, You know, they're playing five Pac-12 teams. And it's so crazy, and we'll hit this in the coming months without question. Somehow, BYU 2021 has to justify 2020. Yeah. There's no other team in the history of college football that's had to do this to this level. You know, I suppose in the 80s, we weren't here, but when they're going uh, 13-0, and whatever I think it was there in 84... And somehow there was probably justification. There. Yeah, but I but think I they justified like it because they had a number of guys go to the NFL. Well, 
in that era, PK, they yeah. went eleven and two. Yeah, they had multiple. Yeah, from from the seventy nine from seventy nine to eighty four. In, in some ways, and they justified it. In eighty four was the payoff. And eighty five had an eleven win season following it up. And th- and that is, you know, they took. I, so, I I knew enough to know that. Well, yeah, the Arizona's left. So somebody's got to be top dog. And credit you, you were. But would you have been that good if the Arizonas were still there? Because there was, you know, at least one tough game, if not two tough games. Yeah, it would have been. I think it would have been different because I don't think they could have won every year. They had already been winning. They had multiple conference titles in the '70s. Those three schools were kind of passing it around, and then whoever you know was on and had their senior quarterback and blah blah blah. But but I don't think they would have rattled off that many in a row. ASU would have had a good team at some point, and they would have won one. Well, they, and Arizona would have had one a good one, and they would have won one. They did. So, People actually think, I think that BYU, the ASU struggled when they went to the Pac-12. That's not true. I think they struggled later. Right. I think that BYU was getting better at that point because they were sending more guys to the NFL in the 80s well, than in the 70s. I think they answered the call there. But now we have to justify 2020. Yes. And if they start one and three, there's going to be a whole lot of folks. See? <laughs> Well, wait a second. What do you mean C? Yeah, no. They sent 12 guys through free agent and draft off to the NFL. We'll see how many make it. So is the comparison, and man, you fans aren't going to like this. All right. I just won't look at my, my Twitter for a while. Is there the comparison then between the 2020 BYU team and the 2008 U team? No. Because that 2008 U team no, the 2008 sent team a beat, lot they of— beat Alabama. You didn't oh, oh yeah. In that regard, I say no comparison. And also, they had several close games, and they found a way to win every one of them, and BYU had the close game and didn't find a way to win it. So I'm, I'm not arguing that. I'm setting that aside. But just in case, uh, the point is that the program produced a lot of NFL guys, and that team was loaded and maybe didn't get the respect, and that's why people were picking against the youth in the Sugar Bowl, but there are NFL guys all no, over the field I, on no, that Sugar Bowl I, team. The 2018 team doesn't have to answer anything. They finished second in the I, country. I get that. They that's were, not the point. But, the point is that it was a really good team, and this is a really good... The 2020 BYU team is a really good team, and you can tell because look how many NFL yeah, guys it, they had. Okay, that's... But the comparison I'm talking about is justifying the next season. That's different. The the, right. two, the 2008 season owes nothing to... No one questions anything about it. The 2020 season, millions of people question it. Nobody questions 2008. Nobody. Zero. So I don't, I don't see any comparison whatsoever. The fact if you want to put NFL guys in... They had their big in, year great. because they had NFL guys. But that was given. But that's why the 2020 team doesn't need to justify stuff. But yet it does. Because they sent a bunch of guys to the NFL. It doesn't matter. And now those guys aren't here to justify it. Which no matter how it's an good. unfair justification, but nevertheless, Plus, they have yeah. to justify it. The 2008 team had to justify nothing. And no, and no, there was no talk in 2009. Well, what are I they agree do? with that. So here, there's going to be a lot of talk on it. If they start one and three, there's going to be a, fun, a bunch of people. See, I told you. And it's not just going to be local folk. It's gonna, you're going to read and hear about it. I promise you. And uh, conversely, if they start 4-0, oh, you're going to hear, yeah, they were really good. Look at that. They followed it up. And you'll hear, if they start 4-0, oh, they'll be highly ranked. And they'll be talking about them on Countdown or Game Day and all that stuff. And they're, you know Herbie himself, the kingpin of them all, <laughs> is going to say, see? And, and those guys, and I think TV people by and large, and, and Ian, I'll put myself in that category now. Old crony newspaper guys, maybe crud, uh, crusty newspaper guys. 
aren't looking to do it, but TV and the radio, you're looking to praise. You want reasons to praise. Yeah, I think it's even changed in newspapers. Uh, you to, wrote, to a degree. You wrote in a subscription era where, so there was no, for lack of a better word, and it may not be the perfect word, but there was no accountability. You know, people had their subscriptions, and you could out go out there and dig and be the tough guy. And now, you you better have the clicks. And people write positive articles, and they get a lot of clicks, and it gets people hyped up. Yeah, but I just don't know that clicks are going to save the business. I it agree sounds, with that. Sounds good. I, I, I agree just, with all. I, just, I agree I, with all that. And hopefully, it's around either way. And I don't. And I don't want newspaper or website newspaper people to be in a position of writing positive for clicks that's not what they do that's not what the business is about if the story demands that it's positive then you write positive if the story demands that it's negative you write negative so i'm hoping that that doesn't happen write the truth that's the whole point of journalism is the truth and so write that, whatever that truth may be. So I hope it's not that case. But there's a lot of TV people want to sit up there and sit, be happy talk because that makes you look good and everybody's happy. So that's what they want. They want happy stories at all times. And so if BYU starts that, you're going to hear that. Look at, see, they followed up. It was legitimate. This season that they have... Uh, the angle that's going to be taken is unlike any angle that has ever been taken in our market and few ever have to take because they has to they have to justify this year and justify last year, even though last year is done and over with and they had the number two pick in the NFL draft, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. We're still going to hear C or BYU is going to say C. <laughs> BYU, you're going to have Ute fans go, see, or you're going to have BYU fans go, see. I know what I'm going to hear. I just don't know where I'm going to hear it from. You're hearing the same word, but the inflection of the tone of the word. See. See. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Precisely. That's exactly how it's going to play out. Either That's way. been acting. Yeah. It's funny. And I, I, I foresee that, and it's not difficult to foresee to see what they're going to do is another thing, but how it turns out, it's going to be C said negatively or C said positively. C. Yeah. And what level do they need to be able to react C positively? Do they need to go is seven and five good enough? Do they need to go eight and four? I I believe nine and three is a no brainer. I believe if you go nine and three. Yeah, given the schedule, there'll probably be a lot. And I believe that nine and three, and look at all the people we sent to the NFL. That will resonate very quickly. With I people. think nine. If the Cougs find a way to go nine and three, no apologies to anybody. I think nine and three for this group this season with this schedule is plenty good enough. Now, I happen to believe that for most Pac-12 teams too, because I believe if you go nine and three, which probably is three and zero, oh, six and three, maybe not. Maybe it's uh, a different form of it, but I'm saying you win your non-league and then you go six and three. I believe six and three in a conference is a pretty good record. It's probably not going to get you first place, but I think you were a pretty good team uh, as I look at it realistically. Now, maybe for SC and Oregon, that might be different in the the occasional uh, or even more occasional Washington, Stanford. Uh, whom, that's probably all I'm I'm going to put in that category. Uh, maybe Utah in that category. I don't know that I'd put. I don't know that I'd put the Devils if they went three and zero, nine a six and three. Can I say, boy, that was a disappointment? 
because I don't think they're they're that program to where they can look at nine and three and say that was a disappointment. You know, maybe SC Oregon, uh, Washington, Stanford, and I'd put Utah ahead of the Devils in terms of looking at nine and three and being a potential disappointment. You know, obviously, if you go. Six and zero, and then lose your last three. I was going to say who yeah. you lose to and how you lose and when you lose. The Utes had some but that's good probably seasons, not but happen right. But the Utes had a good season and lost to UCLA at home when they could have won the division. Right, and that was so disappointing. It was disappointing. But I don't. And think the numbers were good, but, but the, the way it happened. Right. That's why I said I could put yeah. Utah in that category. It would depend. I, I don't they, think I could put the Devils in that category. I don't think their program is at the level that Utah's program is at, and I don't think I can say that. Even if they lost that last game, if they still went nine and three, six and three, that's probably a pretty good record. And I view that the same with the Cougars. Anytime they roll out a nine and three season, I think that's a pretty good season. You know, we're not talking about Alabama and, and those guys and all that stuff. So I'm interested to I, see how. I get your point the, on the one and three start. Reflection I just, of the sea. I look at their schedule and I just don't see that happening. I know. Yeah, but if it uh, did, <laughs> if something did happen, we don't know. We don't because we really don't know how the quarterback is going to play. Ooh, I'm expecting good things. So am I, but we don't know. Well, you never you just, know, so you can uh, always hide behind that. But it's just that because we saw Romney two years ago. That was, we saw him one game. And how'd he look? Oh, suppose he sucked. Does that mean he's going to suck now? No. no. No, but I feel like it establishes a base. No, no. It didn't look lucky. No. One game, no. Where they don't have, they don't game plan for you. No, I'm not going to base and anything off years, of one game. He's had two years to improve, and the other guys have to beat him out. I don't even think he's going to win the starting job. Right. That means somebody else is better. Good. I expect good quarterback play. In in training camp, but against the Utes, <laughs> you, just because you're better than somebody else in training camp doesn't mean you're good enough to beat the Utes. That's entirely didn't two you different have things. A, didn't you look up a thing either earlier this week or late last week about the win percentage? ESPN did a win percentage for everybody's schedule. Didn't you have BYU's win percentage and Utah's win percentage? I don't remember. Yeah, I think there was a thing that BYU had only a couple games where they were the underdogs and the Utes were one of them. Yeah, but the, Less than a 50% chance of winning. Yeah, but that, that, that's in July. That's meaningless. That's just, <clears throat> that, that's clickbait. And I don't have any problem with clickbait because everybody's trying to survive in the world today. So the only people who criticize clickbait are the ones who don't have to have clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we're all trying to survive and keep our jobs. They're very, very it's the important. Best, if it's the best information available at that point. That's fine. That's not really how I go for clickbait, but I get other people define it differently. I, I get you. I, I, it was. It's it's like you're back to your sixty and sixty. They could be way off, but so what? It's just for fun. It's just discussion. It's not gospel here. Well, wait a second. You didn't have somebody. You had somebody 47th, and he actually ended up being the third best because there's no final tally. Well, who do we know is the third best, the second best, the first best, whatever? I mean, it's all for, it's for fun. I don't have any problem with it. It's for discussion. It's sort of it, it's discussion, but it's also meaningless in a sense because the great thing about it is for 12 times, we'll get to see it. Well, part of what gets lost in all of this, well, they didn't play any Power 5 games last year, and let's see this year when they play Power 5. Well, the Power 5, in my mind, comes in at least three tiers. The Power 5 that are bad, the mediocre, and are really good. And I think they're going to play, BYU is going to play 
two, and let's allow for a breakout, maybe three games against teams that'll be really good? Oh, I think that. In the Power Five? I don't necessarily care about that. Because they're getting them earlier in the season, mm-hmm. and the teams think they're good. So they go back to Madison, Wisconsin, and they, Wisconsin finishes 7-5. Wisconsin doesn't know it's 7-5 seven seven five at, at that, that time. Yeah. So I always thought that BYU took an, a, an unfair hit on that because the team thinks it's good. Now, there's something to be said if you finish 3-9 and uh, nine, and we like thought you were good. Like the Michigan State team that BYU beat? Did they finish three and nine? I think they did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I was at that game back there. Right, but and again, the, we didn't know they were three and nineteen at the time. Uh, yeah, and and the Cougars, uh, the score was closer than the complexion of the game. Mm-hmm. I, I really think they dominated that game. So never going to lose uh, it. Had it in control. Yeah, and so we'll see what they come up with as far as that goes too. And I just, plus, yeah. you can have a seven and five season and be this close to something really better. And play here or there. So I'm not going to downgrade BYU. But if you can't keep downgrading BYU every time they beat a Power Five. I did, okay, if you want to take it that way, I guess you can. I think my point is more that BYU is an outclass because of Power Fives on the schedule. We've got enough of a sample size here that BYU is basically a 500 team against Power Five. Teams. But that's not good enough. Okay, so you can want. You can want better, but when I look at their no, schedule, you demand better. <laughs> okay. You don't want I, better. All right, you go down there and pound on the gates. Yeah, of the they demand facility. better. Everybody demands better than five hundred from for relative to BYU, not to New Mexico State or somebody else, but for BYU and in Arizona, if they finish five hundred, uh, Fish come and coach of the year this year. So that's where they are in their program. So it depends. But where BYU is in their program, sixth year under Sataki. 500? Not good enough. No, not good enough. And there's a lot of people, and I've had this several times in and around the football program, of guys complaining that Homo just lavishes love on Pope and doesn't give Jack to Sataki. And I've had that from multiple people the other night at uh, Texas Roadhouse. Oh, really? Yes. A former player. Went off on that very topic. He recognizes me. Obviously, I know who he is. He knows who I am. And he just goes to town on it while we're standing there. Meanwhile, I got some friends, and they go outside. And because we're done eating, he's just walking in. He's waiting for a seat, right? So he's standing there. We're done walking out. And stop and talk to him. 20 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> the therapist, Pat yeah. Kenahan. True story. <laughs> True story. And they're my friends and my wife are waiting. What the heck? And, and they, they could, they could, uh, they knew the guy was somebody. But, but they, they couldn't could, place yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. You see people out of place and yeah. you don't know. You can't link them. Right. You need that, yeah. you need that like clue. Yeah. And as soon as I to- told them the name, oh, of course. Right. Yeah. yeah, and so he's going to town about that. All right, there's something to be said for that. And Pope is a master self-marketer. Nobody does it better than Mark Pope marketing himself and his program. 
the best locker room in the. In <laughs> We're gonna have the best locker yeah, room. I mean, in great. America. I mean, you can, fine. You don't because you can't back it up. Look at all our NCAA wins and our conference titles and our tournament titles. So we're going to have the best locker room in America. I'm going to take Gonzaga, who I don't care what their locker room is. They they win. And, and BYU wins, too. And they've got a good program. And, but and, nobody's winning at Gonzaga's level. Yeah. Duke hasn't been winning at Gonzaga's level. So with that in mind, if these people demand that Sataki deserves more love and respect, and I'm fine with it because we all love the dude immensely, and I want him to succeed, too, as we all do, he's got to back it up. And 500 isn't good enough. But do you feel like the program's getting better? No question. That's what I thought. That's why 500 isn't good enough. It goes hand in hand. So 500, which was largely accumulated when the program wasn't as good, it wasn't good enough then either. Probably going to be topped now. Probably, but even then, it wasn't good enough. There was all sorts of discord. Yeah, sure. And it's not so much that when you're losing to UMass, get out of town. <sighs> okay, those are. That feels a long time ago. It does. Feels like they've gone way beyond that. I agree. But the the losses to the to the Hawaii's and the South Floridas and the Toledos those still sting. I don't think those are gone. I feel like the UMass thing is gone. I agree. But the other ones, no. Uh, it depends. That's back to your tier of power five. Arizona, we're, and Arizona's like, going to stay there forever. Let's not kid ourselves. I wish they would, but they're not going to. But BYU absolutely needs to beat Arizona right. where Arizona is right now. And when you look at the 500-ish record versus power five, well, there's Arizona wins in there. But there's also got to be Utah wins and yep. so forth. And, but there's yeah. an SC win, too. Let's, let's yeah. uh, credit and, that. And a win at Tennessee. Those yeah. were two pretty good weeks. Sure. People were pretty happy. SC's a way bigger deal. Absolutely. It's on our side of the country. Yep. Yak, you and I were there. We are the champions blasting <laughs> from the speakers. That was awesome. I'm people, standing on the yeah, field. I'm people like, just bumping me left and right as they're storming the field. I had it a, was sweet. BYU student, because I was standing over by that student section. One dude practically jumped on top of me, jumping out of the <laughs> stands. I was one of the guys, because he's pretty sturdy, who had to help lift Satake on our shoulders. Ah, there you go. <laughs> well, USC again this year to close the season, Thanksgiving weekend in L.A. I thought about Grimes, but no, and then I went to Clark and I handled him myself. <laughs> nice. Good, good choice. Way to, Come way here, to, Steve. Way to assess the situation. <laughs> Kalani. Uh, Grimes. Uh, Clark, get over here. <laughs> All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. David Locke's coming up next. Stay with us. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David Locke is going to join us. Coming up momentarily, first we'll get you up to speed on some of the stuff we've been talking about. Suns and Bucks. the series is 2-2. And PK, I picked the Suns at the start, and I thought they were going to do it. But I got to say, four games in, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm wrong. Not yet, because let's see what the role guys, even though they're high-level role guys, looking at you, Middleton, and Holiday. What you do on the road? Well, Holiday just went four for 20 at home. 
So yeah, but he's he was, due for but his defense against Chris Paul, though. I mean, he's assigned yep. to guard him. So just not look at some box score. Okay, and I get all that, but four for twenty is still tragically off. I mean, you just don't shoot twenty percent in the NBA. As long as you win, who cares? There's that, and they won, so it kind of became a footnote. You expect a big bounce back game out of Chris Paul? Trying to cut, falling down and losing the ball with 30 seconds to go in a two-point game? Well, they have to eliminate uh, so many offensive rebounds and turnovers, and that's got to be on Chris Paul, yeah, unless he's hurt or something. But if you are, it sucks for you. Uh, It sucks for the team. Uh, So they got to get going here. Uh, They're still in the series very much so. So I watched two uh, tune-up games for the Olympics and got all worried about the U.S. and three guys are coming in late and they didn't look good. And now it's gotten even worse and now you're worried too. No Bradley Beal. He's going to miss the Olympics. Grant's got safety. protocol. Yox said uh, love is a strain, something or other. Uh, and so he's out. So yeah, yeah, there's too much. Uh, There's too much uncertainty, too, much too close to the games. And three guys are coming in, you know, a short NBA Finals, a four-game sweep, even maybe five games. But now it's going to go six, maybe seven. The loser's going to come in upset. The winner's going to come in exhausted. Well, everybody may come in exhausted. Drained. Drained. Emotionally not, drained. Not ideal. In addition to the physical yeah. stuff, yeah. So if the U.S. pulls it off, this will be super impressive. This is a lot of obstacles, many of which you you don't you have little to no control over. Right. I mean, I suppose they could have tried to pick people who weren't going to be in the NBA Finals, except the best players are going to be in the Finals, so why wouldn't you pick them? Well, given the fact that you had other guys who bowed yeah. out for various reasons, yeah. Donovan Mitchell's hurt. You're dipping down the talent pool. Yes. It's, it's just too Harden's much confusion hurt. and chaos around this team right now. So this might be the one time that they don't get it done. No, you said it would never happen in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know that this was going to happen. I you didn't, didn't know there was going to be a pandemic. Yeah. And guy, and Bradley Beal wasn't going to be able to play for whatever reason related yeah. to the protocol. I don't know. Right. Does he have and the finals will be pushed back him? right into the yeah, lap of the Olympic opening ceremonies. Right. After this Olympic, they'll never lose again. <laughs> Way to hit reset. You, oh, can, you can sell anything. I'm still giving up hope. I haven't given up hope. I still have hope. I mean, I'm going to root for them, the American team. No question. I want them to win. Yeah. Well, the U.S. Australia game for tonight is off. That game's been canceled. That tune up game, there's another tune up game scheduled with Spain on Sunday. We'll see if that happens or if that gets called off in the next day or two. So that is the, uh, and then the Red Sox-Yankees game, which was the only game on the schedule last night, it got called off. Six Yankees tested positive for COVID-19, including all-star Aaron Judge, who is obviously in Colorado for the all-star game. So baseball will be back at it now. And then earlier in the show, we had Bob Casperon, second round of the Open Championship. Guys making birdies. The weather is holding the traditional uh, weather that they get with all the sideways rain and the 30-mile-an-hour winds, that's not happening. Colin Morikawa, 67-64. His second round is done. He's 9-under. He's in the clubhouse. He's got the lead. Two shots over Jordan Spieth, who is still on the course. Louis Usheisen is now out on the course, and he's also at 7-under, two behind Morikawa. So going low at the open, these are weird numbers. You don't expect this. 
I certainly don't, but it's well, happening. Well, with the weather being as, as good as it is, maybe so. Right. The, the weather protects the course, and when the weather doesn't happen, there are birdies there to be had. Bob was on telling us the fairways are drying out, the greens not so much, but if the wind keeps up, the greens will dry out, and then maybe we'll see the scores change a little bit. All right, the question of the day. We've talked at this at length. We've got a lot of uh, feedback from people. Why all the people hating on the NBA? And a lot of it is coming down to politics, money, and the refereeing. I think those are the three most common things we've seen. Well, the refereeing is dumb because I don't think that's changed at all. I don't think the referee's any better or worse. The only thing that bugs me is that what was that one game? It took thirty three minutes to play two minutes or yeah. something. Stop with all the Secaucus trips. And if you're going to Secaucus, make it a fast trip, will you? Yeah, in and out. Now I've been to Secaucus. I mean, there's no reason to stay there long. The NFL's getting it down. There's the play. Ooh, let's show you a replay. They're going to review it. Bam, they get in one of the commercial breaks. That spares us later in the game the touchdown, the commercial break, the kickoff, and the commercial How'd break. How'd you go bam rather than whap? Uh, I'm better rested. I'm, I'm more awake. I don't have a problem with WAP. Combination of WAM and BAP. BAP? BAP. WAP. <laughs> I think it was, a, no, it was the one time when you said and wang. That's oh, yeah, was. that was dang and WAP. That's what it was. You're we right. Got, we got that, Yuck. See if we can get it. And, and, uh, and wang. <laughs> <laughs> David Locke, coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined by David Locke. His weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. And David joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why the Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. David, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. There's a lot going on all at once, and something is sneaking up on us, and it's one of your favorite things. But the playoffs are later than normal, and we got the Olympics in an odd-numbered year, which is unusual. And so the fact that we are now less than two weeks to the NBA draft, and there has been so little discussion of it locally or nationally, and now the Jazz are are bringing people in in a combination of COVID times and, and maybe just the organization's attitude this year, hey— no word. It's all quiet. It's on the down low. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Yeah, those, those media sessions that we get to talk to the players don't seem to exist this year, do they? No, no they don't. They're not. So uh, I have a question for PK or what? you. I was running numbers on draft prospects today. Josh Christopher? And I did not get to Josh Christopher. Uh, um, Chris, how do you pronounce it? Out of Oregon. Durat? Oh, Duarte? Yeah, the Dominican kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I like him. 24 years old, though, so that's like he's 24 playing 21-year-olds. Like, that's a huge red flag of, like, a really good way to make a draft mistake. But if you're drafting him, I don't know how early he's going to go, but his numbers are, like, maybe as good as anyone in the draft. Like, I mean, he's in the 94th percentile in spot-up shooting. He's in the 96th percentile in catch-and-shoot. He's in the 98th percent. He's in the 94th percentile in off-the-bounce dribbling, which shows creating. Um, he's not great with playmaking. His athleticism numbers, which I think are um, 
isolation and transition are both terrific. Again, he's 24 playing 20-year-olds and 19-year-olds. You have to be really careful here. But tell me about him because I obviously I've not seen him play, but 6'6-190 and kind of that set of skills seems interesting. Yeah, he was a guy I think got better and became way better than I thought he was going to be early on. And I like his ability. I didn't realize he was 24, though. Uh, I mean, I know that he was older, but that is a big difference, you know, when you're going six years. But at the same time, when you look where the Jazz are drafting, how much will that factor in? Because it's not like it's a stab in the dark, because I think that the drafts, I think there's more better players to have an awkward phrase. So I think you're seeing deeper into the draft, you can get guys. How much do you think that they would be concerned about that age, given where they're drafting, opposed to if they're drafting fifth or whatever? I mean, I think, right, you're looking, you know, Desmond Bain was old last year, and yeah, that yeah. was a good pick exactly. there, right? Yeah, so, yeah, precisely. Later in the draft, those, it's, it's when you do the Wesley Johnson, Epe Udo, you know, frankly, Jimmer Fredette, um, older picks early in the top ten that really there's a terrible track record on it um, that you have to be really careful with. Um, and that, I, uh, Locked On is doing a called the ultimate mock draft and we do it in collaboration with odyssey the the media company and um it, it, as, a, as a massive five-day podcast the kind of series podcast that goes out and i as the 30th pick of the draft representing the jazz had uh two trade offers on the board one was the i think 45th and 46th pick from toronto and the other was the 44th and 49th and 58th from brooklyn would you would you guys have taken either of those two deals? Ooh. My instinct is to say no. No. <laughs> that was mine too. Yeah. So I took the Brooklyn deal. Say it to us. Uh, my, give us the Brooklyn deal one more time. It was kind of like 46 and 47. Or no, theirs was 43 and like 49 and 58 or 50, you know, something like that. So it's three seconds, one of them a little earlier. It also depends, too, how much the, uh, the organization and the folks in charge have zeroed in on player or players. And do they see something? Because obviously you look at and they saw something and you were the first guy to tell me about it. Uh, what they saw in this gangly dude from France. And, right. and, I mean, they hit a home run there, clearly. You know, the Mitchell thing, he was much higher in the draft. So you can, that, that type of thing happens I, more I guess, often. Yeah, I guess our responses are what they are, but until you know the conviction that the, the scouts and the, and the front office have in a player, and not just their conviction and the player's ability to be good, but what they believe of how other people around the league are assessing that player. That's when you really our our answer is just kind of doubt in thin air, for what it's worth. Um, so my so like so my, with, just to say to go to Gobert, like if you are really have a lot of conviction that you got to go get him, if you know someone wants him at thirty, you've got to make the deal that gets you in at twenty seven. If you know somebody wants him at twenty four, you got to make the deal that gets you to twenty two. So ours right. is what you asked us is kind of in the abstract without having the conviction in a specific prospect or prospects. And I looked at it as we're a luxury tax team 
the chances of the 30th pick of the draft helping us in the second round of the playoffs is limited. Mm. You're giving, I don't, I'd rather use that. The 30th pick has got a guaranteed contract. I'd rather use that same money on a veteran minimum. And you're giving me three assets, probably one of which I select, two of which I move to become future second, one or two of which I move to become future second round picks. And, you know, Matt Thomas didn't work out, but that second round pick often is, you know, a trade deadline way to add a piece to the puzzle or something of that sort. Um, so that was a little bit of, that's a little bit of the way I viewed that. Okay. And just, you know, this is what I do, obviously, to take the opposite side. If because you are a pretty doggone good team, you may not need a whole lot. So uh, just to use a Bain as an example, you know, he can hit a few shots for you in that second round. So do you roll the dice on that? You're not asking for a lot, but the kid's got a skill that you can use. So on Desmond Bain, let's use that as an example. I know it's touchy because we passed on him and he had a good year, but I'm not actually convinced. Like, I think he's good. I like him a lot. I think he'll be a good NBA player. I'm not convinced he actually helps us in the playoffs last year. And frankly, as that series went on, he did less and less for Memphis. Um, now, on the other end, Terrence Mann, right, out of nowhere, just destroyed us. Yeah. So, and that's a second-round pick. Um, so, so, but I, I, I didn't get a vibe that I thought Terrence Mann was going to, or that Desmond Bain was ready to have, um, you know, was ready to have that kind of um, impact in the playoffs. So, um, you know, and maybe that's not fair. I mean, I just, I was, I was less sold on him by the time I watched that playoff as a guy who I thought was going to go, you know, make a massive impact in a playoff series. And, you know, he's good, but that's hard to do as a young player. Well, I guess as long as I'm talking about, you know, how the, the level of conviction that the, the, the coaches and the management have in, uh, and current players should be thrown into whatever prospective draft pick. You know, I think it was you either a week or two ago, maybe it was somebody else, but I'm pretty sure it was you, who was talking about offseason moves for the Jazz, and instead of having basically the third team roster spots, you know, 10 or 11 through 15, um, instead of having them be young guys on the way up and projects, and there's a certain argument for that, but do you take half of those six spots or so since they had a nine-man rotation and put three of them into veterans, which is kind of what the Clippers did. And then when they had a lot of guys going down, they could, you know, ham and egg it and plug somebody else in. Uh, Do the Jazz have to look at these guys who've been developmental and say, uh, it's not working, we got to go in another direction and clear some room and some space there. And so maybe you do have room for this year's first-round pick because you've made decisions on these guys who've been on your roster for a year or two. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, there's three there's three sides here. So you go get the veterans. I think what the veterans also allow you to do is get navigate the regular season. Like, well, you, Phoenix did this right. They have Langston Galloway, Nitwan Moore, and Frank Kaminsky, and there's somebody else on the end of their bench. And those are all veterans. None of those are young developing players. They're all guys that have been released or basically let go by the team they had, and they were signed as minimum players. And so I think that helps you through a regular season. Now they turned out to be particularly healthy. Um, and we, you know, did it the other way where you're trying to find the young developing next Royce O'Neal, next Joe Ingles that you get on the cheap. And then you're able to um, get a few years out of them while you're, while you're developing in Hughes and Juwan Morgan, et cetera. The one that's interesting. And so 
there's two different tiers on this. One is a regular season version, and verse one is a playoff version. And and then there's the third actually is probably a long term. So let's go with three. So regular season, like what Phoenix did, those guys can all play regular season. Etwan Frank Kaminsky, and they should be able to play playoffs. But what I do think is interesting is like Frank Frank Kaminsky is actually just not good enough to play in the series right now in the NBA Finals, right? So they have this veteran on the end of the bench, and yet they're just not willing to play him because he's just not good enough. Well, if you're not going to, if he's not going to do that, then why have a veteran, right? Like then I'd rather have a young kid. But if I have a veteran who maybe is on his last legs, like a Marvin Williams or someone like that a few years ago. And I know that if we get into the playoff series and something goes wrong, I'm okay playing him. Then I like that. But I, I'm not sure I like the veteran who you have on the roster, but then when it gets to playoff time, you actually realize he's just not good enough to play. But I know the young kid's not like, that's the problem in this equation is I know that the chances of Elijah Hughes is a second round pick Jawan Morgan is undrafted free agent. You know, these guys at this point in their career, in their first and second year, are very unlikely to be able to contribute in a playoff series. Now, are they going to contribute as rotation players three, four, five years down the line? Maybe. They're not as likely to be on their cheap contract at that point, though. So that's it gets a little tricky. Are there guys out there who maybe fit in between? So there's somewhat of a veteran but they're not uh, playing as much, and can they be plucked out there? Does that does that player I exist? Think, I think what you're alluding to there is what's called the second draft. So guys get drafted by their first team, and it doesn't work because it's a bad fit or whatever reason, and then you pick them up on the second draft. So that's like what people tried with Jabari Parker. Cam Reddish in Atlanta seems to be like a prime candidate for that at some point in time here. If he doesn't, you know, he had a good playoff little surge there, but he otherwise has not been great so far. So it's the draft pick that does not have success in their initial spot. And then you as a team are trying to figure out, is that because of the fact that they, you know, Trey Burke, right, has actually had some success since he left Utah, but not great. But also when Trey Burke is picked up as the way Dallas picked him up and he gives you like four surges during the year, that's totally fine when he's your, you know, ninth pick of a draft and he, He's just playing, you know, giving you only four surges a year. It's not okay, right? So the perception of the player changes. What you're asking out of the player, what you're paying the player, what their role on your team is, is different. And so sometimes players are more successful in their second draft. Yeah. Okay. And, and if they do re-sign Conley, then I think a, a guard like that could really help because a lot fell on Joe at the end of the year, and he was telling us how gassed he was bringing the ball up because Donovan was hurt too. And so do they have a veteran who doesn't have to play all the time, who knows their team in the league, who realizes their value and their spot on a roster? You know, that might be something they need to look at going forward. Right, and Joe is actually, well, the Jazz did a bunch of analytical research on Joe, and he showed no signs of aging, and then he backed going into last year, and he backed that up. There are a few numbers in my book, and they're not nearly as researched as the jazz analytics that say there's beginning to be some signs, and that number is real on Joe, right? Like, like he's not, it doesn't. It, I'm not. I'm dyslexic, but I'm not reading 23 anymore, right? Like, um, so I think you have to be really careful on how you use Joe as well. Yeah. All and right, Joe David. And Joe just hasn't had that playoff impact that we would want which I think is important in roster building too. Like, you know, he just hasn't. Now there have been extenuating circumstances every year that, you know, there's a reason 
whether it was the bubble or just whatever other, you know, he was tired going into the, se- the end of the season or whatever those extenuating circumstances are. Um, but he just has not had the playoff impact for what is probably your fourth or fifth best player. And I think that is important when you build this roster as well. David, we have many more questions about the offseason, but we will save them for another week. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you very much for letting me move around today. I appreciate it. No worries. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, talking jazz in the offseason. DJ and PK, have a good weekend. Hans and Scotty are coming up next. We'll talk to you on Monday.